This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. I'm really excited today to be sitting down in the studio with my friends, Bashamal and Muhammad. I want to give you a little bit of a background. In August, um, a lot of people have heard me talk about my friends, Bashamal and Muhammad, but in August of 2021, uh, brothers Bashamal and Muhammad fled Afghanistan with Bashamal's wife, Layla, and their three-year-old son, Atal shortly after the Taliban took control in August, on August 15th. Uh, they went from Qatar to Italy to Camp ba- Atterbury, Indiana, one of the eight U.S. safe haven sites. They arrived in the U.S. in early September and relocated to Doylestown, Pennsylvania, where I'm living, on November 9th. Both brothers worked along U.S. troops in Afghanistan as allies fulfilling contracts with the Army. I want to talk to Bashamal and Muhammad today. They have uh, graciously agreed to sit down with me today in the studio and talk to them a little bit more, not just about where they are today, but growing up in Afghanistan and everything in between. All right, Muhammad, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit of what it was like growing up in Afghanistan. I know you guys come from a big family. Uh, tell us a little bit of what your life looked like there. Uh, the life is uh, totally different from here and in Afghanistan also. Like um, the people who are growing up in here, they have a lot of opportunities. And in Afghanistan, we don't have that much opportunities for the children, for the kids, for like for their playing, for their games, for everything that they need to do. We don't have that much opportunities here. So. In Afghanistan, we don't have that opportunities, but here, like every ch- every child, every person, they have a lot of opportunity to do something for their life, to become a better person for the community, for the country, and they can do anything for their country. That's that's the big difference that I I'm I'm seeing between those people, these people. Yeah. So you know, we've, we've gotten to know each other a lot over the last year. Um, I've introduced you to some of our traditions here. You guys spent Christmas with me and, um, you've opened me up to, uh, your different traditions, uh, like Eid. And one of the things that I have found over the past year, uh, a common bond between us is that family is so important. And, you know, I've listened to you guys talk about your family and, you know, the family that you have left behind there. And, and tell us a little bit about your family life, because you came here to the United States and you guys are living together um, with uh, Bashama, with your wife and, and your son. But you guys came from a big communal living in Afghanistan with all of your siblings and their spouses and children and your parents. Um, Tell us some benefits to that approach to, to, and I think that's a common practice in Afghanistan, correct? Yeah, yeah. 
So tell us a little bit about the benefits to that. And, and we talked about that a little bit, like the differences you see from that respect of how Americans really kind of live with their nuclear family. And, and it's a little bit different in Afghanistan. Um, yeah, we have, we have an ex extended family, like around uh, 34 family member and just single family just from my dad. And we were so happy. We, we had a good life in there. Uh, everything was so good. Everything was good. And um, when the thing happened back in Afghanistan, um, that was the terrible thing. Like, um, like every family in Afghanistan, they are living together like a big extended families together, but they don't have any any problem like living together. But I think like here, here is different. Like people live when uh, they are 18 or 20, they are going to their own house and they do their own responsibility that they have for their life. I think that's, uh, that's good. Like people, people knows their responsibility, what to do next. Uh, but also, I think this is the this is the big difference between uh, the families that we were living together and here, like people don't live together a lot. Uh, they just like in a couple of months they find some time for their family and they're coming and they gathering together. I think I think that's good. <clears throat> you know, Bashamal, you are the reason that you are you and. Mohammed and your wife and son are in Afghanistan today because you connected with me via social media to kind of, to share your story. And, um, and I'll tell you, and I I've said, um, a couple of times when I've talked about, uh, how we came to become friends and, and all of that, but, you know, I felt like there was a common bond and a kinship that we shared because, um, we all lost our brothers to, uh, to this war, this 20 year war. Uh, my brother, as you know, was killed in Iraq in 2007. And your older brother, um, Amal, was killed in 2013 by the Taliban. And I remember when you shared that story with me and, and shared, and it was interesting and, to understand that across the world, you were suffering the same loss that I had suffered. And um, let's talk a little bit about them all. Tell us about your brother. And he was your older brother, uh, leaves behind uh, a wife and children. And I think, you know, to how we work with all these families of the fallen here in the United States. But I want to hear about your brother, his family, and what he meant to you. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I will talk about my brother. Uh, he has his own company. He has a construction company in the name of uh, Emal Bilal. So in 2013, uh, he got shot from the enemy of Afghanistan, from the enemy of the peace. So they shot my brother and they killed my brother. So he has a good uh, relation with the U.S. Army in Afghanistan. He has a good contract with U.S. Army. He has a big contract, like it's called BPA, Business Purchase Agreements with U.S. Army. 
and he was he was providing all the services in two provinces it's called lugar and wardak provinces so many time uh, we get street uh, letter from taliban that don't work with us army and my brother was not listening to them he said this is my life uh, i will grow my business and i'm doing good for my country so for this the enemy of the peace killed my brother my brother yeah tell us what your brother was like yeah he was uh, a very good man and uh, he had he has uh, he married and he has four sons and uh, he was a very, a very good boy i can call boy because uh, when i was in 8th class uh, i uh, i left school and i went to learn the excavator 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 yeah, yeah. and uh, and within 3 years i was the helper like my age was 13 14 years old and i learned excavator and i became like an operator of that after 2 years my brother came to me and uh, he told me you don't need this come and learn your school you don't you don't need this to do that and uh, he bring me back to school and i learned school university and the last the last year of my school he killed after that uh, we 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 learn how like to work with the us army and we know the the way of the business so he we learn anything from our brother then we we started business with the us army yeah that's that's interesting so you left school yes. to work and yes. your brother said no go back to school yeah go back to school so you went back to school and then after your brother was killed you started your own company working with the us army yeah after that i made my own license for business and uh, i made like around 70 contracts with us army it's the total of like 8 million dollars i had business with us army and uh, I, I i going on the way that my brother was following in his yeah, path yeah 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 and your brother's uh wife and uh four sons are still in afghanistan yes yes they are still in afghanistan they are going to school and now they are happy with us they're happy yeah how old were you when Amal died? So Bashamal was 18 years old. So gosh, you were even younger. Yeah, I was 15, uh, 15 year old. Um, my brother Amal was, um, he was 16 year old that he became a mechanic. We, we came from a poor, a poor um, we came from a poor family. And that time when he was 16 year old, he started the, working with the, in the mechanic shop and he became a mechanic like in 2007, uh, when, he, he, when he was 17, uh, he became a mechanic and then uh, he didn't find any good money in that. And then he started uh, the driving, the, tra the trailer driver driving and um, for two years he did the, driving for for the trailer and then uh when he was 19 year old and that time like in that two years uh he got two time by taliban he was arrested by taliban with the trailer and he was so funny and he was like like when someone was around him he was so comfortable and he was 
so friendly with people. And that's, that was the one reason that he was, uh, the Taliban didn't kill him and they sent him back to home. And when he came back for, when the last time he got arrested by Taliban, he came home and my dad told him that you don't have to drive um, as very dangerous and we don't want to lose you. He said, but we need money. We need uh, money for the family. We need everything for the family to do. You cannot do it alone. Uh, I need to help you. So he, he told us that to all the small brother, sister, that we have to study and he's going to work for us and he will do anything for us to become a good person or have a better life and ahead. And he was 19 year old that he started in, in 2007, he started working with the US military in Afghanistan. And in just one year, he became uh, a big contractor with the US Army in 2011 and in 2012, uh, we received the letter from the Taliban that they said, you should stop working with the US military because that's not good or otherwise we, we are gonna kill you. But he didn't listen to them. Uh, he just, he, he, saw the, he saw the struggle for, for our family and he didn't stop working and he didn't care about the Taliban. He said, I just wanna work and I need to do something for the country also. And he was helping other families. Like he was the, the person like for around a hundred family in Afghanistan, he was helping like a hundred families, everyone that if someone asking for money, he didn't say, no, I don't have. Whatever he had, he was willing to give, give it to them. And he made a, he, he made a good things in Afghanistan. He like some families, they needed, uh, and he made like for maybe for a thousand families, uh, the water well from the ground, it was needed for the fam for that family. They didn't have, they have to go like around two miles to bring water to for their village. But he made that, he made for other families that he, he was going to help them. Um, in 2013, um, lost him and like around a thousand families, they lost someone that he was the provider of that families, that he was helping that families. He was a good man. What an incredible impact that he had not only on other families, but also on his younger brothers. Um, could you think about that? You know, Bashamal, you, you could have very easily stayed out of school, right? And kept working with an ex excavator and never received an education. No. And here, both of you are um, not only educated through grade school, but also with college degrees and, you know, and, and are going on. Um, and, and I didn't know your brother, but I feel like a lot of your brother lives in both of you because I've watched the way as you came over here uh, to America, 
and you guys came with nothing but the clothes on your back. And the first thing you guys were looking for was how could you help others? And I remember having conversations with you when you guys were still living in a hotel and saying, what do you need? And you were telling me about, well, we're, we don't need anything, but these families in Philadelphia need this because you were talking to other families and finding out what their needs are. And that has continued to this day. So um, I, I believe that that's a lot of them all living inside of both of you and the legacy that, that he's left behind um, in the way that, that he was out there helping other families. I see that in both of you. Yeah. Um, incredible, incredible legacy to leave behind. So let's talk about how you got over here, right? And how you, and well, let's backtrack because we kind of passed over the fact that, you know, your brother's continuing to get called or letters and getting arrested by the Taliban, being told stop working with the Taliban or we're going to kill you. Um, and he made that decision. He knew the risk. He knew that every day when he walked out of the house, there was that risk that the Taliban was going to kill him. Um, but he was impassioned not only to help others, but to help his family and felt like he was doing the right thing. What did, what was that like? Because, you know, when I look back on the last 20 years, you know, my brother went to serve and, and he was in Iraq twice. And, and we know many of people that many people that were in Afghanistan, but it was like our loved ones were going off into a dangerous place, but like you guys were living it, right? So you guys were in the epicenter of Afghanistan while the war was happening. Your brother's getting letters sent to the house that you're living in saying, stop what you're doing. Did was there a daily like fear? I mean, I know you guys were younger, you were, you were young teens, but were you fearful in everyday life? Was that something that was in your head every day or was it just a part of living? What was that like for you, Bashamal? Yeah. So every time when you want to go to, to the army bases and the way was too danger, every time when he was like, he, when he was out from the house and we were falling in, thinking about my brother that when he will become back to the right. house. So when like, uh, when in the, in the night, in the day he got shot, uh, I meet him like 15 minutes before that. He, he was like in the right of the, near to our house. And he called me that when uh, one of my uncle needs something, can you come here? And on that day, he brought me a new car for me. And I was in 12th class that I was going to, in my car to school and uh, it's happening like in thousand family like you can find just one one family that at 12th uh, grade class while going to school in his car that's not a normal thing yeah it's not a normal thing in the same day he brought me a car and he told me that came here and uh, our, our uncle needs something when i meet him and when i come back to my house i was uh, sit to eat something in the time that i got called from uh, his bodyguard that he got shot and time I don't know what what did I did I still I don't know but what was that like for you just prior to that I know you're saying like every time your brother left you were scared for his safety but did you guys live in fear at all like were, or was it just that was just daily life yeah it 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 was daily life like uh, when so we were not going to, to the danger uh, areas of Afghanistan, we were in the Kabul city. It was safe for us, safe uh -huh. for us. 
but when he was going to outside like when he was going to army bases for meetings or there was some problem in the contract the army calling and he was going to fix that problem so we thinking we my mother my family all of us was calling and when you are coming back is the way safe are you safe and he was yeah i'm coming and i will come in two hours one hour so our our life was going in this situation so daily life for you guys was not fearful of your own safety because you were in a relatively safe place but you were always scared for your brother's safety yeah yeah, yeah. always because we we were in the safe uh, safe place uh, Kabul city and uh, we didn't think about us because we think that we are in the house and it's safe for us but my brother got shot in Kabul city near to our, one mile from our house right yeah but all of that changes when you kind of take over the family business and start contracting yourself, both of you with the U.S. Army. Yeah. And then you guys find yourself in the same position that Amal was once in, yeah. where now, you know, uh, you guys are prime targets because you are working with the U.S. And as that takes place over the course, I mean, eight years you were working with the U.S. Army. Yeah. And then last August happens yeah. and you find that um, the Americans are pulling out. Yeah. We should leave. And was that your first thought? Like we need to get out of here. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, when in 2016, after my brother, two years after that, uh, I contacted my supervisor who was a contracting officer in Afghanistan. Uh, I said that I need your help. I need a recommendation letter to apply for SIV special immigrant visa. And he said, sure, I will, I will sign your letter. Send me the letter. I will sign it. Then I send my letter, and uh, it takes around six months that he answered me. And he was signed my letter, and uh, I applied for SIV. And three times I had uh, missed documents. And finally, the SIV, like the Department of State, said that uh, you need, we need your supervisor passport number. Right. So and you were waiting on one number from for two or three years. For two or three years. So in yeah. 2016, you're already saying, like, I want to get out of here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like this is not. And Muhammad, are you you're you're are you feeling the same way? Like, do you know that in 2016 that Bashamal is already thinking, like, hey, I'm starting the process to eventually leave Afghanistan? Are you aware of that? Uh, that time I was like 15 to right, you 16, were young. Yeah, yeah, 16 year old. And uh, I always wanted to, I always wanted to study like in some good place, like outside from my country, because we didn't have the good system for the education and everything. Um, yeah, I always wanted to study. And that's why my brother uh, sent me to India for my bachelor and I did my bachelor in computer science from India. And then uh, in 2019, I went back to Afghanistan. Uh, in 2018, I went back to Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Yeah. And you're working with Bashamal. Yeah. You guys are working together. You're going through the SIV process. Did you start the SIV process? And so SIV process for those is special immigrant, immigrant visa. visa yeah. um, for those that are listening that may not know. Did you start the process at that time as well, or did you wait a little bit longer? Uh, we had our all family, my dad. Uh, I have eight brothers, and the six brothers, including me, we had 
our own companies because of our brother, because he made six companies for every brother, for every one of us. I'm all dead. Email that, yeah, uh, that we should work, we should have our own company, we should be like, stand by our own feet. That's, that's, that's the big thing that he did for us. And he showed us that how to live life, how to be responsible for the, your family, for other family, for everyone that they need help. Yeah. So Bashamal's working since 2016 to get the SIV. And um, uh, in it, it, you know, we're hearing it here. So you guys were probably hearing it around the same time as us. And, you know, all well, I mean, gosh, it's been three presidents now have said they're going to pull out of Afghanistan. So you're hearing that back in 2016, Obama said it, Trump said it, and then Biden said it. And then it finally starts to look like, okay, this is going to be, this is really happening. Um, that's when you reached out to me, we started communicating and, you know, at the time, I didn't really know what I could do for you. You know, I knew you were waiting on a passport number from um, a soldier over here in the States. Uh, you sent me his LinkedIn and you said, hey, can you find this guy? Can you reach out to him? And then I th it was on, I'm trying to think, uh, the Taliban took over on August 15th. If I'm getting Taliban took over on on August 15th, and Muhammad, you shared that story a little bit about being in your office. Um, but that day, you know, we're flashing back a little over a year ago. That day, was it just like, oh my gosh, like, it, you know, this just got real, like this is really happening? Because, you know, it's like the the idea that like you hear and you, you hear things are going to happen, and but it's almost until it happens, you can't believe that it's happening. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what was, what was that day like for you? Like on August 15th, where it was like, oh, the Taliban is starting to take over parts of Kabul city. Like this is, this is really happening. What was going through your head? Yeah. Like after 2014, uh, Obama said that uh, we will leave Afghanistan soon. But uh, we we were not believing that, and uh, our whole our whole whole uh, government not believing that, and that uh, U.S. Army will never left Afghanistan. So for this, uh, we just trying to be safe, and uh, I like I told you that uh, I applied in 2016 for my SIV visa, but on the night that uh, I contacted my supervisor was not answering me and I contacted you that I told you that if you can contact him. But uh, on the same night, I got response from my supervisor and he said that, uh, first he said, uh, sorry, I can give you my passport number. I said, I worked for you. I had a contract for you. And uh, I was working with you in the same base. I was there for two, three months with you. He said he wouldn't give you his passport. Yeah, number. yeah. Interesting. First, yeah, first he said, I can give you. Then I said, I, I, I work with you like three months in the same base. We live together. I mean, and, you had pictures with him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I told him that you can't leave me behind. And uh, he said, uh, okay, this is my passport number. Then I came back to when I I, I, I had a uh, um, messages to you, to you, then I deleted that messages back because I said 
this man if you if you contact him this will, will become angry and will say that why you share my information with the, someone else so for this i deleted that text back and when afghanistan fit in august 15 you texted me that were you able to get out of afghanistan i said no till i'm in hell so yeah. I'll never forget that text. Yeah. Are you still in that? I just said, are you still in Afghanistan? He said, no, ma'am, I'm still in, I'm still in hell. Well, yeah. So, so, so we, we, when in August, like in August 14, we're not believing that Kabul will be a catch by Taliban and Taliban will come to Kabul city. But in August 15, our president left Afghanistan and our all army, like they left their jobs and US army left their embassy. They went to the, airport so then we think yeah they are you believing know, you know it was real yeah everything is finished and uh, we should try to get out from afghanistan yeah and, but in the same time you contact me and try to figure out about uh, our our um, life and you did it <laughs> yeah. well i didn't just do it there was a lot of people who helped me and and i'll tell you you know when i sent you that text saying are you still in afghanistan I didn't, it's not like I had any plan if you were still there. I was hoping you would just write back like, no, I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm in Germany or, you know, wherever I, I've, I've made it somewhere. Right. And then when you wrote back, no, I, I'm, I'm still here. I'm still in hell. I was like, oh crap. What now I got to do something. I can't just be like, sorry to hear that. All right. Best of luck to you. And so I just put out a message on my social media. And I just was like, hey, who can help? And it was incredible the amount of people that started writing back. I mean, you know, my son's in Afghanistan. I can connect you with him. Or, um, hey, I know I've got a buddy there. If you can get your friends over to the Abbey Gate at this time or this gate. And, and messages just started flying in. And I'm like, okay, now we've got to figure out what's, what's happening. Um, we ended up connecting with, with Jared, um, who, uh, uh, who was on the ground in Afghanistan, um, Air Force uh, major, who was our saving grace in concocting a plan. Um, and we've talked about it a lot before. And, and if we kind of go through the entire story, um, this will be a three-hour podcast. But you guys made two attempts to go to the airport. Um, it was on your second attempt that you stood there for, it was, a, it was close to 10 hours, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, it was 10 hours and uh, we were there, we were waiting like for 10 hours from 2 p.m. to 12 uh, a.m. We, we were waiting there. So, Mohammed, I want you to just tell us a little bit like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in my house and I'm getting sporadic texts from you. Um, and so let's just fill in the audience on the plan. Basically, I tell you to leave your house at 2 a.m. And this isn't my, you know, I'm being told by Jared on the ground in Afghanistan um, to have you guys, you know, you guys need to get to the Abbey Gate and you need to hold up a sign and he's going to identify you by this sign. And so, but it's like, you've got to get there early because there's just thousands and thousands of people there and just getting through that crowd. Um, so you guys leave your house at two in the morning to get to the airport. And I'm getting sporadic texts from you 
Um, and none of it seems really positive. I mean, Bashamal just kept texting me like, there's 20,000 people here. He will never find us. And I'm like, just hold up the sign, hold up the sign and, and text like a tall. And I'm seeing these pictures of beautiful tall, your three-year-old son. And his face is dripping in sweat. And you're saying a tall is hot and he is tired. And now knowing that beautiful little boy, I can't imagine him standing outside for the, all those hours. But Muhammad, I remember when, once you got here, you were kind of sharing it was more than just crowds and heat. I mean, it was probably one of the most dangerous situations you had ever found yourself in, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, in August 15, when um, around eight o'clock, I went to my office and I was sitting there. I called to my best friend and I just told him, why you are sleeping till now? Uh, get up. Um, I was just joking with him, like kidding with him uh, that Taliban took over all Afghanistan and you are still sleeping. Go out. You, you got to do something. I was just kidding. And I'm, I was not sure that that will happen. Like after two hours, like 11 o'clock, people was running from, from one side to another side. I, I went outside and I, I asked what was happening. And they said, uh, the Taliban is coming. They are coming to the capital. And I said, no, I don't believe this. And they said, no, that they are coming and they left their job, their everything. And they just wanted to go home to be safe because uh, we had the experience from multiple years before that that time Taliban came and they killed a lot of people in Afghanistan. So everybody was scare and they just have to run to their house to be just safe. Uh, like that day was a terrible day in my life. Uh, and then I just went inside to my office and I collect my computer and all that stuff. I said, if they come and they, my things in here and all the documents and everything, that will be like something just to, just to shot me, that will be like something for them. You become enemy yeah. number one because yeah. they know what you're doing. And then I just took my thing, my old document and everything. I just left to home and I went home and like everyone, no one was believing that, that they actually come to capital. Uh, it was the unbelievable day. And so, you know, the plan all along was Bashamal, Layla and Atal. So the whole time, everybody I'm talking to and communicating with on the ground uh, behind the, the gates uh, at the airport, I'm saying, you know, it's Bashamal, his wife, Layla, and son Atal. And then Bashamal sends me a text. Oh, by the way, my brother Muhammad's with me too. And I said, what do you mean? You didn't tell me that because, and he said, well, I said, listen, have Muhammad go, but if they turn Muhammad away, you have to, you have to keep going. And I remember saying, yeah, we will. Well, you know, but he's just going to try. And, um, but Mohammed, tell us a little bit, like I know, because I'm communicating with Bashamal the whole time, we're texting back and forth, but tell us from like your perspective, um, you know, there's, there's August 15th, but then there's, you know, flash forward a few days later, you're standing 
in, you know, the heat with 20,000 people all trying to get through one gate into this airport. What are you thinking? And you saw some pretty terrible things while yeah. you were there as well. Um, when I came back that day in August 15, when I came back home at night, um, I received a call from my friend and he told me that everyone is leaving and they can go from the airport and they are like taking everybody. They don't see the document and everything. And I said, I have my document and everything ready with me. I just need to show them like how to, how to go, but they will, they will let me go. But I didn't, I didn't thought it will be like the hardest thing to get to the airport. It was like terrible day, like around more than like in every gate, more than like 20,000, 30,000 people was there. Like it was unbelievable. And the Taliban was standing there and they were beating people. And the people were just pushing to the gate and they were hitting them with the, with the pipe and the stuff that they had in their hand and the gun. Um, I tried for almost two days to just to get to the airport. Uh, I was going like around 12 o'clock in night that I, I was thinking that I think people will, there will be least, less people and I can go. But when I was trying to get there, but it was the hardest thing I didn't. And the next day around one o'clock in evening I was there and there was a friend uh, that I called I met him in there and he was also trying to get to the airport so he found one way that was the hardest way like to just to airport from like we have to pass the wall uh, the big wall like a three to four meter wall and then we can go to the airport. And when he was trying to, he was on the wall and he was trying to go to like enter to the airport, he got shot and he got shot here and like just in his mind. And it was like the terrible thing that I saw. Um, so I you're come, standing there I and your friend Yeah, I was, I was just like, watching like what how is he he was like he was dying and I, I'm watching him and no one is helping him and no one can help because if someone help him he will get he will they will get shot because uh that time no one helped him and I was there I just uh helped him took him to the uh taxi and just I told the taxi just any hospital you can just take him just take him he said, okay, but I didn't left. I was trying to go. And then Bashamul called me and he said, you don't have to be killed. Uh, just come home. You have your document and everything. Uh, we will find a way. And when I came back home and he showed me the message that he's communicating with you. And I said, okay, when, whenever she told you, Whenever she said that you have to go to the airport, that time I will go with you. And I will just try to show my document to the soldier. Maybe they will let me go. Um, but when he told you, he told you and you communicate, okay. And then I, I said, now I can, maybe I will go. I, 
like some kind of hope I had. Um, you didn't think who's this crazy woman texting with you? <laughs> I, I was. I was like, <laughs> I was not sure. Like how you weren't a hundred percent sold. I was not sure like how she can help from America and here and that, like in that big crowd and that much soldier and like everything is there is a lot of firing. How she will help? But when I came, I had the sign in my hand and. I was standing like from three to four hours just in wall just to show the um, sign to the Jared and somebody see the, uh, the sign. When Jared saw the sign and he came around one o'clock, uh, when he pulled out the people and he was uh, coming to us and that time I said, okay, now he's coming, he's coming. When he pulled out, through the gate and uh, I show him my document and everything. But before that, um, I think you have talked to, to him that I'm also including the family. I, I, I gave him a heads up. There may be one more in the, in the crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that he saw my document and he said, uh, you're good. I said, thank God. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you when you, when you say like, yeah, I'm thinking, how is this woman gonna help from America? Yeah. I mean, I didn't really know if I was going to be able to help. And, and it was for me, like, you know, you talk about just like having faith, right. Mm -hmm. And having faith in something and, and, and hope. And that's not really kind of like how I am as a, I mean, I'm, I, I do have faith, but I'm more like practical. It's like, okay, um, Here's A, we've got to get to B. This is how we're going to do it. This is a no fail play. Like, I'm not used to things that you have to just kind of like throw yourself into and hope that it's going to work out and not be sure that this is a fail proof fit plan. And I think, um, I think the military is a little bit uh, more trained to kind of try things in, in different ways and know that, you know, maybe there's a 50% failure rate. Uh, for me, I was like, it was very unfarn to me. It was foreign to me. I didn't know if this was going to work. And so the last text I got from you, Bashamal, was a text with a picture of a tall. And he looked like he was just about to fall over. And and you said, I, I think we need to go soon. A tall is overheating. And I still have that picture on my phone. And it's just this little boy that, and, and I'm thinking as I'm lying there because it's like one o'clock for you, but it was the middle of the night for me. And I'm lying there thinking, oh my gosh, I'm telling these people to stay in this crowd and there's a little boy there. And I don't know if Jared's gonna see their sign. And, and this could be a colossal disaster and waste of time and something very bad could happen. And I didn't know whether to text you back okay, turn around and just go back or to say, hey, just stick it out a little bit longer. And I think I texted you something back like, you know, you do what you have to do. If you feel like you need to leave, you leave. And it was shortly after that, that I got the text from Jared that said, I have them. And I, I, I was, as much as you were like, when he, he waved you in and said, come on. I mean, when I got that text, I was like, I mean, part of my French, I was like, holy shit. Like, I, I can't believe this worked. 
And to see that picture of you guys with Jared, actually, you just took a picture of Jared. He was checking your papers and you took a picture and I'm like, that's him. Oh my God. And to see those pictures and be like, oh my gosh, they're through the gate. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, they're going to be on a plane in 10 minutes. I mean, you guys sat in the airport for a couple of days and, but I didn't care. I mean, I know you guys were uncomfortable. I know you were tired. I know you were hungry, but I think you guys were probably feeling what I was, which was like, who cares? We're through that gate. Right. And you think of the thousands and thousands of people that didn't make it through that gate. Some of them, you know, like you were people that were going to be targeted by the Taliban because you were working with our, our U.S. service members. And, um, and some of them never made it through that gate, you know, and some yeah, of them are right. still uh, living in a bad situation in Afghanistan. But I'm forever grateful that you guys made it through that great gate and um, that you're here now and, and all that you guys are doing over here with us. I want to share something that, uh, according to no one left behind the uh -huh. organization. Yeah. Uh, they said like uh, around four percent people of like who is eligible for HIV, who has HIV, like special immigrant visa cases, they are evacuated to USA. And about I, wait, so you're saying four, just four percent of eligible SIV are in America now. Are in the states now? Yeah. Okay. And ninety-six percent people are left behind. And they are trying to get out from Afghanistan. Anybody want to get out from Afghanistan because there is uh, like no work, no education, school is closed for girls, and uh, it's everything is messed here. Yeah. So, what are your like? And and that's a thing. Like you know, we're coming up. We're 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 here. We're at. I mean, it was a couple of days ago. Was a year anniversary that you guys made it through. But like, you know we're one year removed from all that happened and largely it's gone away. You know, the media is not covering it. It's not something where they're talking about the living conditions in Afghanistan, but your family's still there. Like, what are, what are they saying? Like, yeah. what is life like in Afghanistan for them now? Yeah. now everything is terrible and Taliban is still like they're torturing, torturing and killing people. They're killing like from the army, from last government and the people that was working with this army. They're still, they're still checking and torturing these people. Yeah. And the uh, school is still closed for girls, no women rights, nothing, no education. And the government like now around, uh, according to the UN United Nations report that uh, around 90% people will be like in next month they will become like hunger problems because they don't have food there. Yeah. So it's really terrible. And my family every time they calling, they said there is like when we tell them that uh, I miss Afghanistan like something, they said, no, don't come here. There is nothing. You you can't make your future your future here. Yeah. Yeah, everything is terrible and uh, no government. Afghanistan is now like a country with no walls, with with no borders. Yeah, it's just yeah. a free for all. Yeah, a free for all. And like we saw that uh, a few time ago, the Al Qaeda leader also killed in Afghanistan. And uh, they 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 are not in the agreement with the U.S. Army. Like they they made agreement with the U.S. that they will not uh, uh, 
relation they will not have relation with the other terrorist groups but they are still doing that yeah so when you think about that like if if there was one thing and i'll ask both of you you guys both answer it bashman we'll start with you like if there was one thing you wanted americans to know about afghanistan right now right what what would that be yeah i will say like one a short uh, sentence that do not miss afghan people wait say that again yeah do not like do not miss afghanistan people they are like the people that was work with us army that that has like in last government they need help yeah so we have to continue yeah we need to continue to help them like people don't have food to eat and uh, someone should take care of that and some like that that is in the in the government here they should take like they should have pressure to taliban that they make a way for the people to have like the work and the women rights they should do thanks yeah i mean so you know just like kind of where i am and in how i think about the us's involvement in you know different countries to be there's there's so many atrocities happening around the world there's so many countries that people are impoverished and you know aren't receiving the right education or are going hungry are in dangerous situations and you know it's hard for for america to be the world police right like we don't have enough resources and 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 i don't think that that's the role that we should play policing all these other countries but but when there are these types of atrocities like we have to send clear and strong messages right but where i think it's a little bit different with afghanistan is the point you bring up if there were 4% of of our siv our special immigrant visas 4% of those Af- afghans that were working with the us army or or the us service members because they were working with marines as well you guys keep saying army so i say army i'm a marine family so marines but uh but the fact of the matter is is that when when we came to afghanistan when we came to people like your brother and and asked for help and his contracting services we made commitments when afghans stood up and said we are going to be translators for you while you're going out in the field to kill the taliban like we made commitments to all of you to say like work with us help us to bring your country to prosperity to you know overcome the taliban rule and and we're going to take care of you we're not going to leave you behind and you know here we are today with 96% of those people if no one left behind if their statistics are right have been left behind and i continue to get emails daily from afghans and it breaks my heart every day that you know because our story was a little bit publicized and so people were able to see how i helped you guys but like the resources i had that helped you they're no longer there yeah. so i don't have the opportunity right now to help in the way that i did a year ago and so there i feel like there's nothing i can do what do i do right and um but i do think that we have a moral obligation uh to stay true to the word that we gave to the afghan people that were fighting side by side alongside of us for 20 years um all right mohammed one thing you would want americans to know about what's going on in afghanistan right now or where we are i will just say like uh the american army they shouldn't leave afghanistan like the way they did uh 
maybe there w- there there will be a better way to leave it but that was not the right way that they did it because there was a lot of people that they were working with them side by side and they they have lost their loved one and their family in that war and they all left left behind like like nothing happened it shouldn't be like that maybe there there will be like a peaceful way but they didn't try that way um at first we we thought like maybe they will stay like for a four month to six month that they will help the people that that people they have, the people who helped them in afghanistan they will like something with with that families with that people that they were working but they did not they didn't do anything like that and they just left like in like they didn't tell people that we are leaving in just like one day three day six months one month they didn't say anything and they just like you're just leaving and everybody was just trying to get to the airport uh going to exit the afghanistan to leave afghanistan yeah i'm not a military strategist but um i can pretty much say i probably could have single-handedly figured out a better way to exit afghanistan than how it went down yeah uh, I want to share like one thing. I was uh, listening. I was listening uh, your podcast with uh, General Joseph Dunford, uh-huh. and uh, he talked like very clearly and very good. And uh, his idea was, I like his idea that he said that uh, I had a recommendation for Trump administration that we should not remove all the troops from Afghanistan. We should leave uh, some. Uh, troops in Afghanistan to control that country. I think that was a good idea. And uh, the US Army should be there and like, they should have like just one base and they, they, can, they can control all the country. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, General Dumford spoke pretty candidly about his recommendation uh, to actually uh, the Obama administration, the Trump administration and the Biden administration that there should always you know, you can end the war, but you can also keep a, a small number of troops to keep stability yeah. in the country. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and knowing him and he is a uh, incredible leader, I wish that his uh, recommendations would have been uh, taken. Yeah, he accepted that recommendation and that was a good idea. And uh, I think at this time, not like not all the people will left Afghanistan because not everyone trying to get out of Afghanistan. Yeah. And uh, like uh, our schools teachers, uh, our university teachers, uh, some good uh, students, they all left Afghanistan. They went like to the neighbor countries. Every day, like around ten to twenty thousand people left Afghanistan, like to other like the neighbor countries. Yep. Yeah. All right. So let's let's talk moving forward. You've been in you've been in the United States for um, yeah one year. And, you know, we had dinner or actually we had tea uh, a few nights ago. We had dinner last night, but we had tea a few nights ago on the one year anniversary of when you left Afghanistan. And, and we were just talking a little bit about what that was like and where you are now. But I'd love to know from each of you, like what impact that like this journey has had on you. Like, how have you coped? Uh, give me the highs and the lows of you know, what the last year has looked like. Yeah, the last year looks like 
very good and i think it's uh, spent too fast this year and uh, it was faster than that 10 hour that we were in the cloud one year went faster yeah. than 10 hours 10 at the hour. airport yeah. I, I don't i don't doubt that actually yeah and uh, it's really good and uh, now we are here we are enjoy this town and living in freedom we have freedom we have our choices and uh, we respect our choices and other choices other people choices it's really good yeah Muhammad, what about you? There is a lot of changes in, in just one year. Um, there is new opportunities that right now I'm working on it and hopefully, hopefully, and it will be successful. Um, I think it's, um, it's very, like, it's, I, I, I think I should be grateful for that opportunities that I have now, now I know like what to do in my life, how to, how to be a successful man and in the future and how, like my brother, how I will help other family, other people. I, I, I don't care who I'm helping, but I just need to help anyone. Uh, I don't care who is he, from where is he, I just want to help anyone in here. And the big difference in that one year that I experienced, uh, that was the TMF, in fact, in my life. Like how these people treat other people, how they respect other people, and how they're getting respect back. When you respect other people, you will get respect. So. Uh, I experienced that in TMF here, like how to be valuable, how to be a better person, how to become a better person. They will help from any way, like to just to try, just to help you, just to to be a good man, to be a helpful man to other, for your family, for other family. I think this is the big difference. Well, I think you, you know, I think you were living it before in Afghanistan and, you know, inspired by the legacy of your brother, Amal, but like, you know, I've seen both of you adopt the, if not me, the new ethos in your lives in the past year in a big way. Um, yeah, I saw, I saw the five words that if not me, then who, like, this is just the five word, but if you see deeply in that word, it's not just a word. It's like life-changing word. It will completely change your life. Like you have to think. If if not you, then who? Yeah. You have to. Like everybody should do that. Everybody should try this. I think. I think uh, that five words like it, they bring me like a a big difference in my life. And now I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing good stuff. All right. So. I always ask uh, if you've listened to the podcast, Bashamal said he listened to the General Dumford episode. So at the end, I ask everybody, like, what does living a resilient life look like for you? Resilience, right? Like resilience, you, you, you recognize the word resilience. No. Okay. Well, that's why I'm going to like how you overcome hardship. So I can tell you how I think both of you are living a resilient life, um, but you guys, again, I don't want to put too much stress on it, but one year ago, 
you guys left everyone you know, everything you have, and hopped on a plane and had no idea where you were going to end up. And now you live in a small town outside of Philadelphia, right? Like, I mean, when you think about the enormity of that, it's big. So resiliency means like, how did you put one foot in front of the other after, after that day? Right. So what, what did, what did it look like for you in terms of like being resilient? How did you cope with all these changes? You know, you're both saying they're good. Like we're happy. We have freedom. uh, We have opportunity, but you also had some tough times and I'm sure you can continue to have some tough times. You guys talk to me a lot about how much you miss your family that's over there. Like how do every day you put one foot in front of the other? Um, obviously like everyone uh, experiencing that if they are far from their family, from their friends, like when they were living like for 10 years, 15 years with, with them and like suddenly you leave them and like, it will, it will, it will be some kind of an like impact about your life. Like it will change, but we, like especially, I didn't lose anything. Like I didn't lose hope and something. I was always trying to do something better. That's, I think that was the reason that like I keep myself busy with the with the thing that I do. So, I. I don't like, I don't think that much about other stuff, but I just want to do something and like something to create, something to do, to just to, to be busy in that thing. And, um, and I don't have to think about that. Sometimes I do think, and it's really like, some, it's hard, but when I see around and the family, that the people that how they treat me, how, how they interact with me i'm just saying human is like they should be like this you said keeping busy and that's yeah. true like you know when you talk about resiliency it's about one foot in front of the other it's about making sure you just keep going right like yeah. not just stopping and so you know being resilient for you in the past year has been keeping busy yeah. and i think you've also recognized the enormity of the beauty of the human race mm-hmm. right and um just the power of how people can come together and i think that's beautiful bashma what about you i gave him a lot of time to think you know he was thinking of his answer <laughs> yeah uh, it's correct that uh, we uh, we left our family in afghanistan but when we came here i think and we found a big family here uh, it's like TMF Trismanian Foundation, and uh, it's a big family for me. And uh, also, like when when I'm going to in the city with the Trismanian Foundation T-shirt, all people are respecting me and they saying, "Yeah, you did it in something like this." Say hi, I know Trismanian Foundation, and uh, everybody talking, and they know about. Charismanian foundation and I'm feeling really good at that time. So now I have a big family here. And uh, also like I a few time ago I went to mosque uh-huh. with uh, my son Atal and when we prayed there I became outside and I feel like that uh, I was in country that all the people was Muslim but we are afraid to go to the mosque because we say that 
it will be blasting somewhere and someone should kill us or there will there will be blasting mask and something it was dangerous to yeah, go to the mosque it, yeah, in Afghanistan. It, it yeah. was dangerous and when I came here and went to mosque uh, I felt better and I came back with Atal and I said every time I will bring you once a week to the mosque. Yeah. Said okay. Well you found your you found your extended family here in the United States and um what you guys continue to do to help other Afghan families um, in the, not just the greater Philadelphia area, but across the country. Cause I know you guys are working with families in Texas and, um, it's been awesome for me to see. And, um, you know, I, I thank you for reaching out to me and sharing the story of your brother, um, and finding that connection with me. And, um, you know, it's just, for me, it's been awesome to watch you guys grow and, just become acclimated to I've I've introduced you to a lot of different things in the American culture and um, just how you have embraced it with open arms and been open to everything. Um, it's been an awesome journey for me to watch the two of you and Layla and Atal just thrive over the past year. And um, I thank you for continuing to share your story because it's important and people need to see it. And, and, and just as important as it is to understand, you know, how you guys left uh, Afghanistan and, and fled Afghanistan, you hear these stories of, of immigrants that flee their countries, and you never really fully can grasp or understand that. And at least I couldn't. And getting to know you guys over the past year and watch, um, you know, some of the, the things, the challenges that you've had, but some of the some of the great moments that you've had as well has been incredible. So thank you both um, for all you continue to do for the resiliency, even though you don't fully understand what that word means, you are a very resilient person, Muhammad. Um, and you guys demonstrate resiliency each and every day. Yeah, we thank you and the Trismanian Foundation also. And uh, I have like in the all last one year, I had like, some things that I will never forget that on like when we have a sign in Kabul airport and uh, when I saw Jared and you told me it's uh, what's the name of that troops I said it's Persian and uh, you said no Persian is the name of the sign yeah <laughs> and uh, it's not not his name Spurgeon was the name we put on the sign and I don't even remember it was a bunch of people texting and someone's actually Spurgeon was the name of someone that was involved in our text group was the last name and he was living over in Europe and um and and that's what you put on the sign Spurgeon yeah. and another time like when we entered airport uh, did it like uh, it was too hot the weather was too hot and we we just wait like for three hours and did it was also with us for that three hours he was staying there and he never said he never like had anything cold he just stayed with us and uh, I will never forget that. And I was thinking that why he's doing this, why they are doing this with us. Like he just stayed there for three hours and this uh, hot sun and uh, he's not doing anything. And he, I, then, then I realized that it's being human and they're respecting that. Yeah. Jared stood with you for three hours. For three hours, yeah. yeah. So final question, whatever happened to that sign? I mean, 
that's that sign that you guys held out there for 10 hours. Maybe you can ask that from Milad. Milad? Yeah. Oh, okay. Milad was another uh, another Afghan that was standing with them as well that day. I'll have to ask Milad what happened to that sign. It'd be cool. I think we took that sign to the Jared. Jared was there and uh, we all entered to the gate and we had the sign because if we put that sign outside, because other people will took the sign. They were like, they, hey, that yeah, sign yeah, was yeah. doing and something. They, yeah, and they will <laughs> enter to the airport. Well, we've got, a, we've got a picture of that sign, of course, because you guys sent me pictures of it. So I think we got to get that sign, that picture framed and put up in the TMF offices somewhere as a great. reminder. Yeah. Yeah. Bashamal yeah. Mohammed, thank you so much for joining me. Um, Awesome. I mean, I get to talk to you every day, but uh, for everybody else to hear your story and, and hear you guys share what the last year has looked like for you, um, I really appreciate it. Thanks to everybody for joining me for another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and share with your friends.